Hello, welcome back, everybody. This is Julie Knudsen with the podcast Turning the Pointing Labrador, episode number 163. And last week, uh, I missed the podcast. It was a busy week full of all kind of crazy things, so I apologize for that. And uh, we're going to get going on on everything this week. I'll have a G update. And then this podcast is, again, going to be aimed for a lot of people, specifically a, a number of my upper-level clients who have finished dogs, and then anyone else out there <laughs> having the same kind of issues. And so it, it's always with some, some specific people in mind that I do this, and I'm hopeful that it's beneficial to uh, a number of other folks. But let me get to the G update. So things are going uh, well there. Uh, it has been so hot that literally in my checker pen, my birds were dying. And we're so stressed that if you took them out and put them out, they just sat there. So it was just not a very workable situation. So I've been a couple weeks here without any upland stuff, unfortunately. Should be able to do it again this week. But I'm in the D chase with her, and she's in a very consistent pointer. And again, for me, when you get puppies in the pointing lab world, that's the kind I like, the ones that just point. <laughs> so I work real hard to get, you know, my clients and dogs that way. And she's one of those. So the pointing is good. We need a D-chase not in a hurry. I am not sitting here going, well, okay, in the fall, I think I could run her in this or this. I'm not doing any of that. With the new rules in the uh, American Pointing Lab Association, you don't have to be certified first. You can just go right into the master if you want. So I'm not in any hurry uh, trying to get any kind of ribbons or titles with her right now. I would really like for her to stay real balanced in all of her, all the aspects, and then come out of this in a way that I'm going to talk about on my next topic here, you know, in a really nice, elegant, finished way. She's doing, her marks are good. She knows she's supposed to be steady. I will never say a dog is steady because on any given day something could happen. But she knows she's supposed to do, you know, do the marks and sit there and wait until she's sent. I'm not pushing doubles at all with her. Again, most a lot of people are because I want phenomenal and perfect marking. Doubles aren't very hard. She can do a hand-thrown doubles and stuff like that, but I'm just still working on the complexity and the nature of the marks. And then she has started pattern blinds, which means she's through the T. She's forced. I have the go, like I showed on the Facebook uh, thing. And I got the stop, which really confused her and, and really does a lot of dogs because we work so hard on the forcing thing. And with her, she's a low-pressure dog, not no-pressure. You have to force and condition, but she was she was tough to find the right level where she got it and was and kept going well with it instead of took it the wrong way. She was a little more challenging than a lot that way. I think because she thinks about stuff so much. I think she got that from her dad, but she thinks about stuff. So I had to really engage with her mulling over in her mind what she thought I was doing and then making sure that it was what I needed her to think. So that was the quote-unquote difficult part of doing that with her. So with somebody just doing it for the first time, it would have been easy to really get sideways. So I had to be aware that she's always going to consider what I'm doing and think about it more than maybe another dog and that I had to be a little bit careful with that. But now we're going and we're stopping. 
and turn in both directions and she's on the pattern blinds and she's going this house this is crazy too but <laughs> and I'll try to get a film of, of that going uh, when I can actually pay you know hold the phone instead of being handling the dog so she's doing that that's going well as soon as we get where she's comfortable there switch right on over and I'm going to start the water force one because it's really hot so you can always do that and to for me, for me now, I'm not saying this is what anyone should do. If I, when I've done a good job on the tee, forcing and stopping, and I'm progressing on that, I like to slide right on over to the water and get that stuff going there when all of that is really fresh in their mind, the newness of it, and you got to go and you got to stop. And then I can get through a swim by within one week or two at the most, and then immediately go to running channel blinds and conceptual stuff which is way easier because they can't go as fast. You know, w when you blow the whistle, they can't do a big turn. I mean, it's just a really nice place to really work on handling stuff. So that's what I'm doing with, uh, with G right now. I really like to get to the water stuff. So things go well with her. I'm not in a hurry. And the more I relax and really think about what I'm doing, the faster we get, we, we move through this. So every time, if I was doing shoulds, oh, she should, because her sister is a little faster, uh, thinks about stuff a touch less, and so go, went through the whole, she's running pattern blinds too, just a, a little more advanced in her thinking, just because she just does what I tell her. So if you just did that with G, it would not have been as effective as it was with her sister. So anyway, that's two, two litter mates that are very similar and very talented and different in important ways when you're doing this real technical stuff. So that brings me to my topic of the day, which is, again, uh, tailored for my upper-level clients who have finished dogs, and it doesn't matter. I don't care whether we're talking about, you know, dogs that point or don't point. I, I, we're talking about any upper-level dog, you know, that's, that's there for performance stuff or, you know, to perform, to do a job or something. Some of the reasons that when you have this dog and it's all trained and it knows all this stuff, but things aren't working out as well as you thought they should. You know, there's problems popping up here and there's stuff popping up over here. And it's like, well, the dog is trained and why can't we just come out and run these marks and have it go well or run these blinds and have it go well. Go in the upland field with my pointing dog. Oh, it's really here. So all of you upland guys with finished, you know, upland dogs, well, right here is a really big deal. So people, you know, they have all the tools. Let's talk about pointing guys. They're, they're let's say they're de-chased and they're woe-broken, right? And, and they point. And so, man, it all ought to be good, right? And then it's not. And you go out there and they do stuff and, and you try to, you know, use all the tools you have and it's not working. So I want to talk to those people who have a well-trained dog, but stuff happens and things aren't the way it should be. Why is it that way, and what can you do uh, in that situation? So one of the things uh, that's, that's important here, and I'm going to use a kid analogy because I'm just real comfortable with that. So when you have, let's say, you know, you've had a, you were a kid or you've had kids. So I, one of those is going to be you. And, you know, you've been raised, you learn to read, and you learn to write, you learn to, uh, how to negotiate yourself in society, right? And then you, you get, you hit your teens, and someone teaches you how to drive, and 
so you learn how to drive and, and you kind of know the rules and you know stuff right and now you're gonna have to go out there and practice it right? just like a dog that's trained and now has to go do this stuff you have to go practice it as a parent you can step in and I probably see more of this than I see the way that I did it you can step in help them every step of the way you can make sure that they have everything that they need all the time and you go with them and when they start driving that's always one of my big analogies you you know you did the whole learner's permit thing with them and then they finally got their license but you're going to keep going with them and when they go somewhere that's very far well you'll go with them and you just nurse them along and whenever they kind of trip or fall or get wobbly there you are to shore everything up you know being a real good parent when you do stuff like that and I could use a lot of other examples in regular life but when you are the the fourth wheel on that vehicle and you're the one that makes sure it's always going straight then they never learn how to be the fourth wheel on their own vehicle and make sure everything's always going straight the only way that a, a human being tends to learn that is by doing it and doing it wrong and doing it right and figuring that out and then making decisions for themselves about do I want to do it right or do I care etc it's important to understand that about this phenomena that I'm talking about because a large number of problems that people can't solve with their well-trained dogs stem from this very thing that we're talking about right here so again your team you've raised your child well they have all the tools they need they understand stuff now you gotta let them go do what they're going to do and find out what happens when they do that and then make the decisions about which way they want to go that has to happen and if you don't let them do it when they're living at home it's gonna happen when they leave and there's more at risk then but anyway so that's that but how does this apply to our dogs so one the, the thing that I go out in the upland field I was just I came back from the Northwest uh, Pointing Lab Club uh, a month or so ago whenever it was and I went out in the upland field with every single person and every dog every both warm days and one of the <laughs> One of the, the things that I see, saw there that I see everywhere that I see my own people do is, you know, they're, they're, some of those dogs were already had like fancy titles and a lot of purple ribbons and stuff. But they would go out and at first, it was interesting, that at first they'd go out and it was interesting to see what's the relationship between the dog and person going into the field. For, I, it's a, one of the things I always watch. What's the rela which one of these guys is in control? Because it's one of them or the other one. If the dog is in control, I think we already know what all the problems are going to be, and that is the dog's in control. If the person is uh, the dominant one, the, the, the general, if the person's the general, then that's a good situation. Unless that general, I should have said colonel or something, is going to tell that dog everything to do. But anyway, we go out in the upland field, and this is where I really like to make a good example. You go out in the upland field, and you have all the tools, right? And so you know what's supposed to happen. It's just like you're, you're the fourth wheel on your kid's car when they're driving. So you go out there, and they're getting a little too far, so you bring them back in, okay? Already, right there, that, that tells you something. 
they tend to get birdie. So a lot of people have cues, you know, to, hey, slow down, take it easy, something. And then when they go on point, they got whoa, right? So now you can whoa. And then the bird's moving and the dog wants some moves, but you got whoa. And so you got all these things that you are helping this dog do the right thing with. You're helping them stay in range. Then you're helping them stay on point. And then when the bird flushes or it's flushed up and the gun goes off, then you're helping them be steady by whatever steadying means you do, whether it's woe or the sit whistle or whatever. So you go out there and you're making sure that everything that should happen happens, right? And then you go on the next, onto the next bird. And, <laughs> and the same thing, this time you make sure you get it on the, on the right side and then they go on point. And so you hurry, right? You rush up there, you get up there to be, so you can make sure that they stay there because you know, you're gonna go run the master test and you really want this to be good. All right. That's the same thing as that parent, right, that gets in the car and their kid has their driver's license, but they got to go 50 miles, so they're going to go with them because it's a long ways and they, you know, you want to make sure that they've got all that stuff and you want to make sure that they come back alive, right, and so you're going to make sure everything's good. And so that kid's never learning to drive. That dog going into the upland field is not learning to drive. <laughs> they're learning to go out there and be monitored, watched over, and instructed. So if you're actually in a test or out hunting real birds, like ones that someone didn't put down there, right, now what are you going to do? You don't have your tools. So you go out there and you're still trying, right? You don't have your training and equipment on. You don't have your collar or cords or whatever it is you use. You don't have that stuff, and you go out there, and the dog's just naked, right? They're just doing their thing, and they know that you can't make them do anything. What are they going to do? You don't know, okay? If you have never found out if your kid can drive for 50 miles somewhere and come back and make it on their own, if you've never found that out, you don't know. And if your dog has never been out there and been allowed to figure stuff out and make its own choices, you don't know what they're going to do. And that's why things happen <laughs> when you're out there. You go to the test and go, I have never seen my, they reached, flew up in the air and grabbed that bird. Or they did this or they, what, they chased something that they've never done before. And people are always very amazed at that. Now let's go over to uh, the upper level retriever stuff. Let's talk about multiple marks. Right? So... Or marks at all. Let's just talk about marks. So your dog handles, it does all this trick stuff, so you're running a mark. I don't care if it's the third one of a triple or the first one of a, of a set of singles you're doing. And that dog goes out there and goes to the area uh, of the fall, and you're going, this is good. And then they go deep, and they, they're passing. So tweet, we start to handle, right? We start to handle because, oh, my game missed the mark. Okay, I'm going to handle. You know, or, oh, no, they're going a little too far that way, and they handle. So... What was that dog going to do? What would that dog do if you weren't there instructing it on what to do? Very, very true on blinds, on blind retrieves. So if you're running a blind retrieve and there's a little piece of water halfway out there that your dog has to get through and you point them out there and you're going to handle them, you know, 20 times before you even get there. Of course, the dog by that time is just exhausted. They're not even thinking. It's just become an etch-a-sketch dog. So when that happens, what's the, what's the dog going to do? What choice would that dog have made? If you were in a test, would you have handled that much? 
What would happen? So the point I'm making with these examples is when your dog is trained and you have the right tools, and if you don't have the tools, if they ha are, haven't been through the T and truly understand going, stopping, taking casts, if you haven't learned about what terrain affects them on marks and on blinds, if your dog is wool broken and de-chased and you go in the up and field and you don't even know what they're going to do, if you're not there constantly instructing them, which is the majority of what I see, actually, when I'm out there, and you don't know what's going to happen, then you have your teenager who knows how to drive, got his license, knows the rules, did all the stuff, and has never been allowed to think for themselves and do what they're going to do. Now, I realize my driving analogy is a kind of a risky one, right, because bad stuff can happen if someone doesn't drive well. <coughs> so I don't really mean to imply that kind of thing. But they can run a red light, they can drive too fast, they can rear in somebody, they can be texting and have somebody rear in them because they didn't move. So until they have been forced to think about those things and take accountability for those things, they're never going to be good at those things because they're used to you doing all the thinking for them. And it is very much that way with our dogs. And I'll give you an example. Upland's a great place for this. And my clients will laugh at this because they've all heard it. So we go out, and I, when I go out in the upland field, and I know these dogs because I at least somewhat or totally trained them myself. We go out in the upland field, and the dog is, you know, let's say getting out of range. So that tells me something right there, that they're, the dog is used to being told what range is. Now, there's ways, and I have podcasts on it, that you can train all by itself, your dog to take responsibility for keeping themselves in whatever range you want. So for all you upland guys, that's a that's the only, as far as I'm concerned, that's the only way to go. So you do the field stuff. You go through not while you're hunting, not with birds, because they can't think of five things and learn five things at one time. There's and I've done the podcast on it. You teach that dog to take responsibility for staying in range. And when they don't, there is a consequence in that particular training thing when they haven't. And I can't go into all the detail of that. But you teach them, hey, you keep yourself near me, whatever your range is. It could be short or it could be long. You do it. So that's the first thing. A lot of people have never taught their dog to take the responsibility for that. So you've all heard the whistling and the yelling and the collar pounding and all this stuff because... The dog has never been given the responsibility to keep themselves where they need to be. Okay, there's one. Now, when the dog goes on a, uh, finds the bird, locate, gets, starts to get birdie, they can smell the bird. So, <laughs> and I'm going out with my people. Okay, now we see if the range things is still there. And then when it goes, what does that dog do? What, what happens when that dog starts, and that's just what I watch. What does that dog do? Is it confident and feel really good about this bird location or does it start to worry so if it starts to be concerned then you can tell that somebody has intervened as soon as this dog gets on gets birdie they they could either be saying something they could be moving up real close to the there's something they're doing that's in that's getting in the middle of this dog and bird contact therefore they, you never let the dog do what it's going to do and find out what that is because in the end that's what they're going to do anyway 
So let's find out, is this dog going to point from six inches away? You have to find out if you, have a, if you put a bird they could do that with. Is this dog going to crowd it? Is this dog going to creep? What, what's going to happen? Right, so you have to see what that is. And you don't correct that right there. You don't, matter of fact, you don't correct that at all unless they're going to, you know, do something really wrong. But you don't correct them. You let the dog tell you, hey, when I smell a bird, I want to get as close as I can. That may be because you stick birds hard and you plant birds and that's all it's ever had. There's a lot of reasons for that. Okay, but <laughs> so you can't, you have to find out what the dog, and if the dog likes to get really close, okay, then we make a plan for what am I going to do about this behavior that this dog has, that they like to get up real close. And I'll, let's just break that one down for those that are interested. If, you're, if you like to stick birds and put them down hard so the dog can get very, very close to them, you might want to not do that anymore. Because one of the better ways is to have a bird that's kind of loose in the cover, and when the dog gets close, it pops and goes away. If you have a de-chased dog, right, it loses a bird, and it doesn't chase it. If you don't have a de-chased dog, it's a good place to de-chase because, you know, at a finished level, they can't do that. But you have to find out, so am I, is it my bird planting that's causing this, or is it this dog? And so if it is this dog, is this dog de-chased, do I need to do that? Because that's helpful. Or do I need to do a point drill, where I, a completely separate drill, where I teach this dog, you, you stop at first scent, you don't get in until you can make eye contact with them. So anyway, this isn't a diagnostic thing, but there's things you can do. Not right there. Does the, does the dog like to point, and then they can't stand it anymore, right? And then they just go bust in. This is what uh, often happens. They go busting in. Bird flies up. They don't chase it. But at least they produced it. And it made them feel better because they're very aggressive and they think that this is okay. So on this same thing, I go back to the kid driving. If the kid likes to text while they're driving, if you're not around, yeah, this is a tough one, but something's probably going to happen. It's, they're going to, you know, something's going to happen that's not good. And that has to probably happen. You can sit there and lecture them all you want. You can't text and drive. Da, 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 da. Okay, but sometimes if you, I was texting and driving one time, and I was way over on the shoulder just about to go off the side. Okay, I never did again after that. <laughs> I was like, okay, good enough for me. Um, and, and so kid, people, they have to learn that. So if you have a dog that really wants to bust a bird, that, and I've done this with all a bunch of dogs now that are four-timers, it's like, go right ahead. Matter of fact, when I go out in a field with any dog, any dog that I've trained, all right, that I know has this stuff, if they're going to get out of range, for one, I realize, wow, I have not done a good enough job teaching this dog that I'm not going to do the work and keep reminding it where it needs to be. Okay, N not happening. And then if they want to, they're well trained, you know, they got all this stuff, they point well, and they just can't help themselves, I just let them do it. It's like you want to make the choice. You make the choice what you want to do. And then there will be a consequence when it's the wrong choice. And it's not like a punishment thing. It, it's like it's a consequence that they don't want. But they have to understand if you text and drive, something not good is going to happen. And if you go on point and then you just can't help yourself and you go in and bust it, I'm going to call you. I'm going to basically do like a D chase and I'm going to call them back with pressure.
It's like, go ahead. And if I have to do it again, the pressure goes up. And so it's like, you know, I just don't think I'll do that. Now we're talking about a dog that's already trained, right? Not a new guy coming up. Please don't do this on a young dog. It would be a mistake. But you let these dogs, you let them reflect your training back to you. And you have to, maybe you haven't done as thorough a job. It's not the dog's fault, it's yours. And maybe, you know, if your dog likes to kind of bust birds, because a lot of that's resentment. When you're out there yelling, whoa, running up there, you got cords, you're holding on, you're doing, again, cord would be a young dog in training. We're talking about a finished dog. They should do all of this work without you having to instruct a single thing. You don't have to yell, whoa. You don't have to scream a sit whistle at them to get them not to bust on the gun. So you have to let them tell you what choices they will do. And then you have to respond to that. And that's one of the reasons that a lot of people never quite get finished on some of this stuff. Because they're controlling it the whole time. They're driving with their kid. Saying, give me your phone. You can't do that. I'll, I'll read it to you. And I'll t if you do that... The kid never learns to drive. If you go into the upland field or running marks or running blinds and you're constantly making sure that everything that needs to happen happens, the dog is not learning how to do this on their own. They are not being made to take the responsibility to do the work. And I'll give you another example. Let's just talk about water blinds. You got water 30 feet in front of you. You point your dog on it, say back, and they go, uh, they try to go around. All right, you, one, <laughs> find out, let them tell you what they're going to do. Don't always be right on the water's edge. Get right up on the edge. You're gonna, yeah, they're going to get in. We're talking about a trained dog. Back off. And if they don't get in, all right, then, they, then there's a consequence. Assuming you trained them correctly, assuming that, there's a consequence. You have to find out what they're going to do. When you're running marks, when you're running marks, don't handle them because you can't. Let them hunt the heck out of something. Make them take the responsibility. It, anyone that handles too much, either on a blind or on marks, the dog quits having boldness and confidence about what they're doing, and they just wait to be told. So if they run out and don't find a bird, then they start popping, right? They're turning around and going, I don't know, tell me. You always do. And so, you know, I'll let a dog hunt for two minutes if it's staying in the area. It's their responsibility to locate the birds. Now, if it's going to make a mistake, leave the area, go to another fall, do something, okay, then you, you are forced to handle. But in training, only get them back and then stop. You, it's one of the, so to summarize, what I'm saying is when you do all the work for them and when you do all the thinking for them and when you're constantly telling them what to do, they don't learn to take any responsibility themselves. And very often, that's the reason on a well-trained finished dog that you never get to that point where you'd like to be, where you've seen other dogs that just look so elegant. And they just really understand what they're doing. And they have a pretty high level of confidence about it. That's because they're doing the work. They know what their job is. They take responsibility for it. But so many times, it's one of the things with people that they get tired of me telling them, saying, you're, you're doing the work right now. You're doing all the work. 
And it's our nature. We want to help our kids drive and never get in an accident and never drive off the shoulder and never do anything wrong and never get hurt, of course. So therefore, we're going to just tell them what to do the whole time. Ultimately, that's not going to work. Ultimately, they need to learn how to drive well on their own and make the right choices. And on these dogs, especially these finished dogs, most of the time people do not differentiate who's taking responsibility for doing the right thing. And many, many times, especially when it's your first or second dog you've ever had, you're going to do everything to make sure that dog does it right. And that's going to backfire on you. Because then you're going to go to an event or a test and go, I've never seen him do that. I don't know why it's like that. And it's because, well, you just handed them the reins and they don't even know what to do. So they're just kind of ad-libbing or doing whatever they want or doing what seems right. Or they pop. You know, dogs that go pop a lot, there's a lot of reasons. Popping is when they're, in pers you know, they're either running after something, whether it's on a mark or a blind, and then they just turn around and stop on their own, like, hey, hey help me. A lot of reasons. A lot of them is stuff that we've done that caused problems, and a lot of times it's because we handle a lot because we can. So when they're going out and they go, ah, I'm not sure where I'm going, and they turn around and stop, and then everyone's and then they get all punished, right? They get punished. They get correction and pressure because they're just reflecting your training back to you. So they're looking for help because you do so much of that. And it's just something that I strongly encourage people to think about in their interactions with their dogs. At, like going to the line. You go to the line, you've got a dog that likes to break. Oh, for heaven's sake, there's 10 million things people do for dogs that break. Um, and just uh, lots of them. And <coughs> for me, for me, I don't, I don't like breaking dogs. So once I've trained them and they know what they're supposed to do, like right now with G, I still have a little tab. I don't let her break, right? I'm making sure what has to happen happens. Here very shortly, that's going to go away. And it's like, all right, dog, I've showed you and I've told you. And I've told you and I've showed you. And we practiced and we practiced and we practiced. Now it's you. You have to keep yourself seated so what i'm going to do is make sure she understands my expectations i'm going to communicate sit you know do whatever and then i'm going to signal and if she moves at all she is going to get well she's going to get corrected and not by taking her off and putting her back in the truck and hoping that teaches her it's going to be by fairly severe sit enforcement even though she's you know took off and she's three four feet out not 20 feet, guys, because then you let them break. When she has initiated the break, we're going to come in with some pretty, pretty G-high sit enforcement. And go, go ahead. Would you like to break again? So in other words, it's like you make the choice, dog. I have clearly showed you what I want. Now you make the choice. And if it's the wrong one, there will be a consequence. And if it's the right one, you're reflecting back good training. Well, either way, she's <laughs> reflecting back good training. But you ultimately have to let them make the choice. And if it's the wrong one, it's like if your kid's still texting and he runs into the cop car in front of him at the stoplight, it's him that he should pay the ticket, right? Because the kid did that. And it's the same thing with our dogs. So evaluate your training stuff. Are you doing the work for them? Are they just relying on you? Or have you turned it over to them? That doesn't... Now, if they go out there and, and kind of screw up or something, that's okay. 
if they're trying to do the right thing and they feel that it's their responsibility, then you're successful. So I hope with some of my upper level guys that, you know, don't just sit there and watch your dog do all kind of stuff wrong because when you allow dogs to do the wrong thing and continue to do it, you have just told them that's not the wrong thing. You're fine with that. So to, to, to work a dog at the highest level and stay there, that's not easy. I mean, especially when it's your first dog or two or three, it's not easy to think about all the things you have to think about and evaluate these things. So understand it's not easy and understand you're going to make mistakes, but you have to take the responsibility for that with your dog the same way that your dog does in all the work you do with them. So something to think about and just dogs around the house. I'll just say the same thing. Dogs around the house. You don't like them barking when somebody comes to the door, right? So <clears throat> you have a lot of ways to prevent it. Well, that doesn't solve the problem, right? You're just making the problem go away by preventing it from happening. Of ultimately, you don't like the dog to bark, you know, give them something to do, like sit or lie down or get in the crate when somebody comes and enforce it and teach them this is what you do when, the, when the somebody knocks at the door and then hold them accountable and make them take the responsibility. And if they tell you they don't, that means you've been doing all the work for them and they're waiting for you to do it. So that's with people with their pets, with people in a relaxed situation, it's no different. It's just no different. If your grown-up kid comes home, they can't put their muddy feet on the kitchen cabinet and eat all your food and leave. You know, you probably expect them to behave like a mature adult. And dog, dogs at home need to behave like good dogs. And you have to make them take the responsibility. So it's just something to think about. That's where... On a, on a well-trained dog and things still aren't going well, it almost always comes down to who's doing all the work and what you're getting out of that. So for those who understand or find this relevant, I hope it's helpful. Otherwise, people could be going, what did she say? <laughs> so I hope it helps. Wishing everybody a cool, non-fire summer. And uh, G and I will be back very soon.